Alleluia, Christ is risen. Thank you. And welcome everybody to our Easter Sunday service, Old Trafford. I'm really pleased to be able to share this time with you this morning. Um, You're very welcome. Let's begin um, by celebrating this new week, the resurrection of Jesus and the start of our future and the rest of our lives until Jesus comes again by singing together the Easter hymn, Thine be the glory. Lo, Jesus meets us, risen from the tomb. Lovingly he greets us, scatters fear and gloom. And after we've sung this together, I'd like to remain standing and we'll say together the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Care news. We're thinking in the month of April about people whose witness to the power of the resurrection is at home bringing up children. And specifically, we're also thinking about these people who need our love and our prayers and anything practical we can do to help them. Dorothy um, had her operation this week and that seems to have gone well. She may be home today um, or in the next few days. She's okay but is tired as it's difficult to sleep in hospital and she's been told to take it easy for at least six weeks, which Rebecca says won't come naturally, I imagine. So please remember Dorothy um, in her confinement and frustration. Um, please remember Jack and Mary. Mary's having a lot of pain, is unable to walk at the moment. We're not really sure why. She has a couple of appointments this week at the Trafford and Christie Hospitals. Both Jack and Mary feel that although they are suffering and things are difficult, that God is with them as he's been in easier times. Jack is also very grateful for the support they've had from his brothers and sisters here at Old Trafford and elsewhere. Let's remember people like Marion and Gladys who struggle on a daily basis with health problems. Issa and his wife Beatrice are in Sierra Leone, um, back soon but can't quite remember when and of course our brother John in the Congo Sheila's passed me a card from Jean Andriades which um, you can read afterwards in full she wishes all her dear friends at the Bethel a very happy Easter and hopes that we are all in good health before we start spend some time in prayer together is there anything else that people would like us to remember and pray for so thinking about Pearlene's friend John um, and his father, not very well, I'm not expected to get better. Sylvia. I'm praying for Sylvia's mum, still in hospital. So that's Matt Cheshire, thinking about his family, particularly his dad, who's been unwell and in hospital. So praying for Maria, a foster mother, apparently knows through school, currently in a comatose state. I'd like us now to just sit together in silence for a few minutes. I'd like us to think about and pray for all those people that have been mentioned out loud but there will be people on your own hearts people close to you or problems and issues that you wrestle with that perhaps you don't want to or you can't share and I'd like us to just be still before God and in the power of the risen Lord Jesus remember all that he can do for us
Lord, beginning and end, we lift our prayers to you and all these people that we love and care for as we commit to stay with you. So we pray that you will stay with us and all those who need your love most of all. Amen. As Aaron's here, I will now blame him for everything that I'm about to say this morning because I was sitting listening to Aaron when he spoke to us a few weeks ago and if you haven't heard that talk, it's great. Um, Please go find the podcast, listen to it. But a little idea came into my head and uh, this is where um, my thoughts went. It strikes me that if we disregard for a moment 2,000 years of Christian teaching and preaching and thought and experience, then actually quite a lot of what we read about the life of Jesus in the Gospels is perhaps quite boring, quite banal, quite inconsequential. And I'm going to think about five boring things about Jesus for a few minutes this morning. The Gospels record a Jewish rabbi, Jesus, the son of Joseph, who we assume, and there's a little hint in Luke's Gospel, this might have been the case, did what many Jewish boys did. He grew up and from the ages of about six to ten was probably educated along with his fellow boys, memorising parts of the Old Testament as someone who was clearly capable, who grew in wisdom and stature, one gospel writer says, Jesus would have stayed on, I think, into that education until the age of 14, his coming of age. And then, perhaps, and this is, we don't know, Jesus then went back to his family business because that's what Jewish rabbis did. They all had a manual trade to stop them becoming too arrogant, too puffed up. You only have to think of the Apostle Paul, who was, of course, a tent maker as well as a Pharisee. Very capable Jewish boys from the age of 14 onwards might apply to become a rabbi's pupil. And here we don't know if that happened to Jesus. But what we do know is that from about the age of 30, Jesus did what every other Jewish rabbi did. He went out and started calling followers to himself. Come, follow me, he says to Peter, James and John, and all those people who later become big names in the church. So what? Rabbi Jesus went around teaching and preaching and worked miracles that drew the crowds. But perhaps miracles themselves aren't so remarkable after all. The Bible tells us of some figures in the court of Pharaoh when God's people, Israel, were in captivity who were up to a point, able to produce the same miracles or at least counterfeit them, some of those miracles that Moses performed. And the history of the Jews is full of people like Honi, who was able to, so it is said, call down rain on parched ground. And Honi's tomb is still a place of pilgrimage in the land of Israel to this day. Rabbi, miracle worker and exorcist. Jesus cast out demons from the sick. But that wasn't something that he did exclusively either. The disciples come to Jesus and say, 
We saw a man driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him. So what? Jesus, rabbi, miracle worker, exorcist, did what all Jewish rabbis did. He taught people about God and about God's scriptures. But perhaps some of his most famous teachings aren't so surprising after all. The Jewish rabbi Hillel, of course, was asked to summarise the law of God, all of the Old Testament and all the teaching of the rabbis while standing on one leg. And this he did by saying, that which is hateful to you, do not to your fellow. That is the whole Torah, the whole Jewish law. The rest is explanation. Go and learn. So what? And lastly, there were hundreds, if not thousands, of innocent victims of crucifixion. Miscarriages of justice have never been uncommon. They weren't uncommon in the first century. They're not uncommon in our own generation. Killing God's prophets was a bit of a pastime for the enemies of God's people and the Bible is full of the persecution of holy men and women. Show trial to dispose of somebody difficult, trump up some evidence, it's happened before, happen again. And the crucifixion itself was no Hollywood scene. The whole point of crucifixion was that it wasn't hard, didn't require any skill, didn't require any special equipment. You just nail them up by the side of the road and let time take its course. Big tall crosses on a hillside, unlikely. People were crucified by rubbish tips along the side of the road, either as detritus or as an example to other. And the death of Jesus was no exception. Crowds flocking to see somebody die. It happened in this country for hundreds of years. It happened in the time of Jesus. There are still audiences to public executions, for example, in America or Saudi Arabia. The death of somebody always draws a crowd. doesn't matter how significant they are. So Jesus lived and taught and worked miracles, cast out demons, said some things about what God wanted, proved to be inconvenient and difficult and was disposed of and died. And that's where Easter takes us. Let's read together now from Luke 24 and see where this takes us. Luke 24, starting at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. 
the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. This is the real start of the Easter story and I'd like us to just try and imagine ourselves into the mind of Cleopas and his companion. Think about all the things that they've seen. Think about them witnessing or hearing Jesus riding in triumph to Jerusalem, something that we celebrate on Palm Sunday. Riding in in triumph and then leaving again, only to come back, to be tried, to be flogged, to be executed and to be laid in a tomb. That reading that Vicky read for us is full of broken expectation and fear and uncertainty. Their faces are full of sadness, they're downcast, says Luke. They're surprised that this strange person who comes alongside them should know nothing of these things because that's been all their life for the past few days and certainly for as long as they have been following Jesus. How could you not know, they say, about Jesus, who by deeds and words of power proved himself a prophet in the sight of God and the whole people, and how our chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and crucified him? We'd hoped he was going to be the liberator of Israel. And what isn't said is what must have been in their hearts, but it doesn't look like that anymore. We don't know why they're leaving Jerusalem. Maybe they're just going home at the end of the Passover celebrations. Maybe there's nothing there now in Jerusalem to hold them because it seems like everything they've given their life to has suddenly evaporated with Jesus' last breath. And they are also in the position that I've tried to put you in. Because all those things that I said were true about Jesus, that he was a teacher, a miracle worker, an exorcist, a rabbi, a victim of crucifixion, are all the things that were so true for um, Cleopas and his companion and are actually now the root of their despair about Jesus, who by deeds and words, by miracles and exorcisms, by teaching about the word of God, about Jesus, who was sentenced to death and crucified. And now, their question as our question. So what? Where are we left? Where do we go now? We've left Jerusalem. We're on our way to Emmaus. It's getting... Late, I think. Darkness falls not just in their hearts, but all around them. All they're left with are the historical facts of Jesus' life, the things about which there is no dispute and much evidence. This teaches us a number of things, but the thing I want us to pause and reflect on now is this. 
in these two disciples there is a real lesson for us all and it's this when you are at your lowest when your hope seems to be gone the first thing to do is to find another believer to rely on perhaps that's why Cleopas and his friend are travelling together because this was too much sorrow to bear on their own they find some comfort in each other and as they'll find out and as we do too I believe they find that in their shared sorrow Jesus is there with them and I'd like us to reflect on that and what that means to us in our next hymn And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things, and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us. For it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the road and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. So Joe's picked up for us the story of Cleopas and his companion because this little narrative, this little story teaches us something very profound, something very life-changing. I said there were five boring things about Jesus. Jesus as rabbi, Jesus as miracle worker, Jesus as exorcist and healer, Jesus as teacher of the word of God, Jesus as crucified victim. Those things are not enough to set the world on fire. Those things are not enough to change the lives of hundreds of thousands of millions of people for 2,000 years. That's why they're boring, because they're not enough. There is one interesting thing about Christianity, and it's the fact of the resurrection. Without the resurrection, those things about Jesus would have made him just another footnote to Jewish history. Those Egyptian magicians who were able to counterfeit miracles in the court of Pharaoh are dead and forgotten. Nobody follows them now. 
Only the circle drawer is an interesting feature on the tourist trail of Israel but doesn't command a following of thousands. Hillel is useful because he teaches us about the way Jews were thinking but he hasn't changed my life. And all those crucified victims sad but forgotten and even their bones are now dust in the land of Israel the meeting between Cleopas and his friend with Jesus on the road to Emmaus teaches some things about the resurrection and our response and about our faith what you see happening now is Cleopas and his friend in dialogue with Jesus they're trying to understand and this is why Jesus spends this journey teaching them what do the scriptures mean to us what does the Bible mean to us how do we understand everything that we know from our lived experience in the light of what we know about God what Cleopas and his friend learn they learn from Jesus and it's this that disciples will always wrestle with the scriptures to understand what it's teaching about God and what it's teaching about Jesus mean and mean in our lives. Cleopas and his companion had to understand what the meaning of everything that happened to them was and why all their hope and all their expectation and all their sorrow and joy when those things didn't seem to come true, they had to understand what those things meant. And they did it in dialogue with Jesus, in dialogue with each other and by working together through scripture and that's what we need to do we are reinterpreting the message of God to understand what it means to us and that's a lesson of discipleship Cleopas and his friend travelled seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus a short journey, something that could be accomplished before nightfall our journey might be a lifetime long that journey of talking with Jesus, with each other, of wrestling and questioning and trying to understand what does this mean for me? It keeps going, they kept going until the end of the journey and we must too. But most of all, the story of Cleopas and his friends and the story of Easter and the story of why I'm a Christian and why many of you in this room are Christians too is about an encounter It's about an encounter with Jesus. Sometimes that happens in the difficult circumstances of our life when all hope is lost and there is nothing left to to live for. Sometimes it happens when we're wrestling with something that we know, something we've been brought up with, something we've been told is true but we don't understand. Maybe that's the Bible and the way we're brought up. Whatever those circumstances are, the thing that flips the switch from so what to life and a future is an encounter with Jesus and that's why this passage is so crucial for us in understanding what Easter really means what was key for Cleopas and his friends was this encounter and where did that happen? because they say to Jesus stay with us as we prayed earlier in the service and he went in and stayed with them and he sat down with them he took bread and he blessed it and broke it to them and then 
And then their eyes were opened and they recognised him. And I'd like us to sing now about that encounter that we have with our risen Lord. Just as clear past his companion met with Jesus in the breaking of bread, I pray that that's what we, we will do too as we share these things together this morning. Here, O oh my Lord, I see thee face to face. Here would I touch and handle things unseen. Here grasp with firmer hand the eternal grace and all my weariness upon thee lean. And so we come to participate in the Easter story. We come to share with Cleopas and his companion that encounter with the risen Lord Jesus as we take bread and drink wine together to remember that he is risen. He is risen. And that's why we're here and why our lives have been transformed. Why the life of Jesus is not boring but transforming, empowering, life-changing, hope-filling. I'd like us to share our prayers for bread and wine together this morning. And I'd like us to do that by singing together. I'd like us to sit. I'd like us to sing reflectively because this is our prayer of fellowship, of fellowship with each other as disciples, as Cleopas and his companion, found comfort and fellowship with each other. It's our prayer of thanksgiving and remembrance as we encounter the Lord Jesus. Jesus says to us, I, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. All that the Father gives to me will come to me and anyone who comes to me I will never turn away. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but to do the will of him who sent me. It is God's will that I should not lose any one of you but raise you up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that everyone who sees the Son and has faith in him should have eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. So we share together this re resurrection bread, the bread of life, and I pray that you will meet Jesus as we do this. And so we come to share together the cup of wine. And we pick up our song and our shared prayer of thanks and prayer of blessing as we sing together the second verse we drink this cup Jesus goes on speaking to us in very truth I tell you unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you can have no life in you whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day my flesh is real food my blood is real drink Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats and drinks will live because of me. And so we share together this cup. This cup that is life and the life of Jesus 
in us and him dwelling with us forever. When I said right at the start that there were five boring things about the life of Jesus, I was of course being mischievous and I was being highly selective. But I wanted you to focus on the fact that there is really only one interesting thing about Jesus, which is the fact that he has risen. If Jesus has risen, then those five boring things are suddenly not so boring after all. Remember I said that Jesus went out like any other Jewish rabbi, gathering followers. But I was selective there, wasn't I? Because he went not to the most able or the most gifted, the most who had stayed on from primary and secondary Jewish education, the gifted, the able. He went to the most unlikely people, to the people who spent their whole lives fishing because they weren't clever enough to do anything else. Because Jesus is risen, he is not like any other Jewish rabbi. If Jesus is risen, then he calls each one of us. He is powerful to call each one of us. He calls each one of us to be his disciples. Because being a follower of Jesus is an offer that is open to every one of you. and It's open to every single person outside this building too. Because Jesus is risen, his miracles are signs of God's power. They are signs of God's power to change things in this world. They are signs that the life of God's kingdom is real for people in the everyday circumstances of their life. Because Jesus is risen, he cast out demons not by mumbling spells or by brewing up magic potions, but by with a word of power, because the resurrection proved him to be the Son of God. It proved that he had the authority to act, to heal, to do great things in God's name as God's son. Because Jesus is risen, he is not like any other teacher of wisdom. What do the gospel writers say? The people were amazed at him because he taught as one who had authority, not like their own teachers. Because Jesus is risen, Jesus is not an interesting example of Jewish theology. He is a person who calls and transforms and changes people because when people become his disciples, when they experience the power of God in their lives, they see what was plain to the writers of the Gospels, that Jesus has authority and we should obey his teaching. If Jesus is risen, then his trial and crucifixion are not just a sad example of a miscarriage of justice or another piece of evidence about the way Roman authority ran its empire. If Jesus is risen, it proves to us that suffering and our response to it can be redemptive and life-changing. There is one interesting thing about Jesus and the church lives or dies on that one interesting thing. My faith lives or dies on that one interesting thing. The challenge for you this morning is what you believe and about your response to it. Those two disciples, Cleopas and his friends, believed it. They found that it was true. They met with Jesus. They experienced him as their risen Lord in their lives. And that flipped the switch 
And what did they do? They ran back to Jerusalem as fast as they could, filled with joy and witnessing to the transforming power of the risen Lord Jesus in their lives. They weren't afraid anymore. They weren't downcast. They were filled with energy and commitment and the will to witness to the one interesting thing about Jesus, the fact that he is risen. I am a Christian because Jesus is risen. And that's what I want to celebrate in the longing that we find in our last hymn. It recognises the joy of Easter. Why do we want to know Jesus? Because he is risen. Because his resurrection is powerful. Because the new life transforms us and changes us in ways that we never possibly could have imagined. We're going to sing this and I'd like you to sit and then Andy's going to come and read and bless us in a meditation on the story of Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus and that will be the end of our worship this morning. Emmaus Wedding May this marriage be a milestone on your shared road to Emmaus where two travel but three share the ride. May God himself occupy the third seat on your tandem as backstreet back seat driver, powerful peddler, trusted guide. May each memory you make point to his presence, a mystery figure found in every frame. May each joy you share be a sharing of his pleasure. May each name you speak an echo of his name. May worship be the well whose waters heal you, a thread sewn through the fabric of each day. May his whispered voice join yours in conversation, in casting his vote unite you as you pray. May you pursue the path your partnership is made for, the priceless pearl of finding God's direction. Two destinations woven in one purpose, two destinies fulfilled in shared intention. As you walk together through cool evenings in the garden that his love will shape and give you, may you sense a silent presence and feel a loving gaze and thrill to turn and find him walking with you.